This is the one with a barely sentient local. An exceptional doctor. Psychedelic wallpaper. Killer graffiti. And a TARDIS that's smaller on the outside. It's called Flatline. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Still not in sync. We're still on our epic race. All through time and all through space. We're slipping and angels now. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond of, of any number of dimensions, welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Oh, dog past. <laughs> <laughs> You're just using pre-recorded inserts from previous episodes, right, Leon? Nope. Oh. <laughs> nope? <laughs> no, I manually synced those the last time. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That was after syncing work. Anyway, here we are, <laughs> podcast man, for another episode <laughs> N113, Flatline. We should also add that in this recording tonight, I can only see two-dimensional representations of my fellow co-hosts, <laughs> who I haven't even named yet, by the way. They're just, they're just faces on a screen. One of those faces belongs to this guy. Hello, I'm Leon. And the other face belongs to... It's Marie! Whoop whoop. And I drew back when, but you knew that already, right? Of course. <laughs> and we're recording remotely again due to the ongoing coronavirus uh, situation, in case you're listening to us uh, in the far-flung future and are wondering, you know, naturally curious. How is everyone holding up under quarantine? Well, we can't get coffee, so could be better. I'm rapidly running out of vodka. <laughs> Shit, things are direr than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I should add that to my Tesco delivery. <laughs> <laughs> You went through all the TARDIS vodka. No, but it's rank. (laughs) How are you doing, Drew? (laughs) I'm in peak physical condition, but I haven't left the house in a week. You can tell by the beard. Are you not taking the puppy out for walks? Well, I suppose, yeah, every now and again. (laughs) I think it's fair to say at least one or perhaps two of us have been looking forward to this. Oh, certainly. I'm one of those two, right? Yeah, and I'm the other, Marie. Marie? Would you care to make this verdict three-dimensional? Well, I wasn't looking forward to it because I couldn't quite remember what it was. But then as soon as the episode introed, I was like, oh, it's when the TARDIS gets mini. And that's the only thing I could really remember from it. Okay, so it didn't stick in your memory like in ours. No, not really. So what stuck in your memory? Just that it was a high point of this series. I, I didn't remember Rigsy or Bristol or <laughs> oh. <laughs> I forgot both of actually. those as well. <laughs> I remember there being a lot of cool effects, like spatial effects. Oh, yes. So I guess next is a B-Scout? That sounds like a spiffing idea. Some traditions never change. <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? The doctor is doing his best to get Clara back to the exact right time and place whence he last plucked her, because her boyfriend is famously flexible and there are definitely no fishy fibs being floated. But they find themselves in Bristol instead. So, right time and right place-ish, but the TARDIS is somewhat dimensionally challenged. People have been going missing under strange circumstances, and something alien is certainly afoot. With the Doctor stuck in the TARDIS and the trusty blue box gradually shrinking to a handbag size, 
Clara takes the reins and literally impersonates the Doctor. With her own Watson by her side in the form of lovable local graffiti artist Riggsy, and with the Doctor in her ear, Clara must inspect the clues from every angle and dimension. There are two sides to every story, and Clara has her work cut out to get to the why of this axis of evil and find out where the real threat lies. Me Me scout over, you You are are out of sync. (laughs) Why are you slowing down? Oh, it it so <laughs> Wait, are you slowing down? <laughs> yes. Not like both you of know you are. <laughs> so where are we starting? With some facts. Let's hear them, Drew. This is episode nine of series eight, written once again by mm. Jamie Matheson. That's right. Did we encounter him recently? Very recently. Last <laughs> week, in fact. <laughs> Was he who put the mummy on the Orient Express? Right, Rooney. This was first broadcast on the 18th of October, 2014. 2014. I'm super excited because we're <laughs> catching up with the present. You know, we're catching up with the show. Yep, we're still only six years behind. That's right. <laughs> In so, one of our channels. Five and a half. <laughs> so I looked into Jamie Matheson a bit more mm-hmm. because he doesn't seem to have that many credits in general. Oh, really? Yeah, and based on the last two episodes, would you agree with me that that is somewhat baffling? Absolutely. These are these are two really good episodes. Yeah. He wrote a film in 2009 that took in all of $20,000 worldwide. Oh, wait, Aww. which film? Frequently Asked Questions About Time Travel. It stars Chris O'Dowd. Has anyone seen it? I remember hearing about it. I'm pretty sure I watched a trailer when it came out. I saw the trailer. The trailer looks terrible. Wait, hang on. Is this the one where someone puts an ad, like a Craigslist ad about traveling through time? I'm not sure. The trailer described just a bunch of mates in a pub and a woman pops into the pub from the future and it sort of spirals madly from there. Oh, you know what? I never saw a trailer for this. Yeah, well, I would, (laughs) despite the underwhelming trailer, I would like to try to see this somehow based on these last two episodes. Okay, so what happened to him? I don't know. Is he, he just living off episode... the royalties? Well, possibly. That's what I would like to think, that he's just incredibly lazy and resting on his laurels. But he's only otherwise written some episodes of Being Human and Becoming Human. I don't know if those are related. And a short series called Tripped on E4. He hasn't done anything since 2017. I hope he's all right. Oh, yeah. But it, but it's it's really strange because looking at these two episodes, don't you think he's clearly talented? He, yeah, he might have been in with a shout of being the next showrunner to follow Moffat based on this form. Yeah. Uh, how many episodes had Moffat written before he was in the runnings, and had he done other stuff? Oh, Moffat had done loads of other stuff. He'd done the comic relief one, the Curse of the Fatal Death. But he, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, but he had done yeah, non Hoovian stuff as well, right? He, I mean, he had a yeah. BBC career. Yeah, he did four series of Coupling. Um, I think he probably did other stuff as well. Coupling is good, by the way. It peaks in the middle, but it's a worthy middle. Hey, oh, I remember that being a good show as well. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's done more than four episodes, okay. But who really has done more than four episodes apart from Gatiss? And Gatiss was busy on Sherlock. I would have thought that Jamie Matheson would have been in pole position. And all he does is write sci-fi stuff. But we ended up with Chibbers. Yeah, that's true. Oh, well, hindsight's lovely, isn't it, BBC? (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, let me rephrase this question. Has Chibbers written an episode as good as this one? Which one's... Hang on, let's let's find Chibbers' whoography and and see what he had written before he became showrunner. Marie, you liked last week's, right? I did like last week. I liked last week more than you liked last week, based on your rating. Yes, yes, that's true. No, I really liked this week's episode. I would have been 
Happy had uh, I've got his name already. Jamie Matheson. That's it. He hasn't got yeah. the alliteration like the Chris Chibnall. No, he doesn't. The, it's the not name just of... yeah, the name just rolls off the tongue. So here's That's... what Chibbers had written in the world of Doctor Who before he became showrunner. Oh wow, he had written eight episodes of Torchwood. He had written <laughs> <laughs> skepticism that, from that corner. <laughs> <laughs> And the following episodes of Doctor Who. 42. The Hungry Earth and Cold Blood. (sighs) The Pond Life (laughs) mini-isodes. Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. (laughs) (laughs) The Power of Three. Oh, but for the ending, not bad. Yeah, true. And an animated webcast, which uh, followed on from The Angels Take Manhattan, (laughs) called P.S. Sounds important. (laughs) And on that basis, he became short. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> done a lot more. Do you think? He, do you think people just really liked him? Do you think he was a really fun guy to work with? And they were like, "Yeah, get Chibbers back in." How about we ping pong away from the anti-Chibbers realm and focus yeah, more true. on on the episode of the week? Oh yeah. Is it fair to say it's a Doctor Light episode? Well, you said last week's was Clara Light, and we disagreed. And I don't think it's Doctor Light. No. Okay. It's Doctor Light in terms of like he's not leading it this week. Clara's kind of leading it. So he's oh, definitely. In the background, kind of chipping in here and there. You must have loved so that, by the get, way. Yeah, you don't get to see his like physicality as much, but you do get the really cool like hand crawling along with a TARDIS on it. That was quite fun. Cousin it thing, yeah. No, the cousin. Oh no, no, it's you got thing. Thing. It's not cousin it though. <laughs> no, it's not. Sorry, <laughs> the Adams family. <laughs> I have a feeling that Capaldi was in the studio one day and he shot all his scenes. I mean, for him, it's just he doesn't have to change location. He doesn't have to change outfit. He shoots everything in the TARDIS and then he shoots the beginning and the end of the episode by the TARDIS outside. Yeah. Which is filmed in Gloucester, by the way. Oh, really? Which may explain why they came back there in Series 12. Okay. Gloucester tax breaks. Okay, I understand. (laughs) By the way, I hope he enjoyed the rest of his week. (laughs) And I thought Clara did wonderfully in his stead as the doc of the app. I thought she was fantastic. Well, they nailed the beginning of that, didn't they? Where she introduces herself as the doctor, you mean? Yeah, and Capaldi's there chipping away that a doctor of lies. And she (laughs) said, I just picked the title because I thought it made me sound important. Instantly, the whole audience is on side. Absolutely. (laughs) Is is Clara the first female doctor? Surely not. Surely... For you, Drew, uh, Donna Donna Noble's the first female Doctor. Excuse oh, me? Oh, the Doctor Donna, Not yes. forgetting Doctor Donna. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't mean that, Leon. Don't panic. <laughs> you know what? I had forgotten the Doctor Donna. <laughs> Just wipe it from your memory. <laughs> like canon, canon as, sorry. <laughs> the thing I really liked about this one, and I kept sort of comparing it back to, what was it called? The There's a there's a dragon in the moon. Kill the moon. Kill the moon, there we go. And you saying, oh, she needs agency, she needs to, be, you know, take the training wheels off and let her run. And it was done just done in such a callous way in that episode, and this time it was done completely accidentally, but she was completely on her own 
for a lot of it. And even when she had him in her ear, she was still like, he would say a little thing and then she would run with it. And she wasn't like turning to him every five seconds to go, well, what do we do now? She was like a complete leader. She knew what to do. She knew how to win people's trust. She knew how to assess a situation, come up with a plan. Like she just absolutely nailed it. And she just proved beyond a doubt that she doesn't have training wheels. Like she's already there. Yeah, I yeah. agreed. At one point, doesn't she say, what would the doctor do? No, fuck the doctor. I've done plenty of that. What would I do? I'm going <laughs> to yeah. do it and I'm going to I'm gonna get it absolutely right. And I love that line. And she absolutely nailed it. Yeah, there are a good couple of occasions as well where the doctor listening in on her is just impressed. Yeah. Which is nice. Andy has to concede that she was exceptional at the end. She never feels unsure. Like, even when someone drops the TARDIS and he just goes down this, like, massive shaft onto a train track somehow, and she just immediately, like, okay, that's happened, let's move on, we need to keep pushing on. And she doesn't, like, I can imagine a lot of companions really faltering and going, oh no, I've lost this guy that was in my ear telling me what to do, now I'm on my own. And yeah, I need to find freak. him again, I need to get yeah. back to the TARDIS so that he can give me orders. Exactly. No, she was, she, she did very well on her own. And in yeah. fact, yeah, she's the other... one who then tells him what to do in order to save himself. <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I liked about that scene was that I could have imagined previous companions going, oh, I'm sorry, I dropped you, and the, and the doctor being really angry for a moment. But that didn't happen. I'm glad they left that out. Yeah. Because for, for those few moments, he, he is treating her as an equal. Yeah, there was a point, uh, I can't remember where it comes, I think it's after that, where she was taking charge, she was being in control, she'd stopped the train, she'd managed to sonic a red light so that the train stopped, and she had a plan and she was going to run over the weird two-dimensional people. And then the guy, Riggsy, kind of stole a plan from under her and he jumped on and he was like, I'm going to be the hero, I'm going to do this. I didn't and like I was that. Like, oh, shit. I didn't like that. I was like, what? you know, she's finally, she's coming up, she's being the hero, she's making the plan, she's doing all this on her own, and now some guy's just going to come and do it for her. But no, she got on the train, and she proved what an idiot he was being, and how her plan was far superior to his plan. But all the while being quite nice about it, and like, her kind of teachery, more like nurturing side comes across. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Me. I think that's exactly yeah. what it is. You know what I didn't like about that scene? I didn't like the conclusion of the scene, where he clearly has been given an out, but he just hesitates for no reason whatsoever he yeah. just sits there and waits while the train is getting closer and as a watcher you're just gonna, well i mean we know that you're both gonna get off this train why are you hesitating a hairband can do your job <laughs> get off yeah. i know fenton is unpleasant but does he hate community service that much that he'd rather die than whitewash another wall <laughs> And he's, he's just lost his auntie Karina. It's not like there's nothing left for him to live for. It's, yeah. it's entirely too eager a sacrifice moment. If it weren't Doctor Who, we'd be objecting to it even more. It's just that it's sort of normalised someone sacrificing themselves every week, that it isn't a complete episode stopper. But you're right, up until that point, I guess they've seen people being absorbed into the wall, which is really, really creepy. Super um, creepy, yeah. But yeah, just at, at that point, it doesn't feel like it's an urgent enough situation that someone has to sacrifice themselves. I don't know. Nope, that's correct. Yeah, and he doesn't have some <laughs> tragic backstory. I mean, wait, do we find out anything about his situation? He's really good at drawing doors. But we don't know anything about it, family, friends, etc. Yeah, he's great at drawing doors. <laughs> yeah, apart from his aunt Karina dying, there is nothing. And I assume oh, yeah, he's he lived don't. on that estate all his life and his horizons are that constrained that, yeah, he's, he's got no future 
prospects. He's Nothing. got into trouble a few, few times. He's, you know, community service. He hasn't murdered anyone. We learned that. Not yet. <laughs> That's good. That's pretty good. Yeah. We don't know that about anyone else in this episode. No. I could believe... Who's the guy The guy with the lack of imagination that he can't even read the... <laughs> The psychic paper. I like that as an explanation. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I was blank. Oh, is, that, <laughs> is that really the explanation? I, I assumed that the, the bonus had stolen all the ink and got in the paper somehow, but no, yes, it okay. It works again after that. So it does. Uh, at first I was like, okay, he's clearly an alien. Like, there must be something about him that the psychic paper doesn't work on him. But no, it was just really boring. <laughs> Are we talking about the bastard in charge? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he's played by Christopher Fairbank. I recognise him from something. What has he done? He's done Alien 3, The Fifth Element, Batman, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Wait, wait, what? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, what? I've never seen Leon's eyes, so why? <laughs> Just <for her. laughs> Whom does he play in... All of those things. In Alien 3, he plays Murphy. Yeah. Okay. In Batman, he plays Nick with a C, not with a K. I mean, he's not going to be the star of any of these things, but the, the fact is, the top of his IMDb page looks pretty impressive. Like Tim, Tim Burton's Batman. Yes, 89. Oh, wow. Okay. I know him from two things. One is he was Thomas Cromwell's father in Wolf Hall, basically the most unpleasant character you can imagine. <laughs> Okay. Like this one. And uh, <laughs> in Dickensian, which was a sort of EastEnders take on the Charles Dickens universe, he was equally unpleasant. But I think he ran a pub, so he had a redeeming feature. Oh, okay. He's got a type. Yes. Well, he's got a face. Well, he's <laughs> like a discount Dean Stockwell. I just had to look up his name. <laughs> the guy from uh, Quantum Leap, you know. <laughs> I, mean, I think he'd take that. <laughs> I mean, most people would. I mean, yeah. Dean Stockwell is, is a very handsome man. Absolutely, yes. Th- I mean, those two, I can see them playing brothers in something. Convincingly. Yeah, our next audio book. this perhaps. guy could be Dean Stockwell's, you know, just body double. Was there anything to like about this guy at all? He was one-dimensional, surely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was. I was a little surprised, pleasantly so, that he survived this ordeal, by the way. Because otherwise, I mean, they're, they're going to sacrifice one of the team, and they ended up sacrificing, can't even remember his name, the guy who I think possibly has no lines. But then this Number guy... Number 22. Exactly. But this guy makes it Foreman, whatever his name was. Fenton! Fenton! There you go. <laughs> oh, bloody hell! Fenton! Yeah. And I was actually thinking that he would have been better off in last week's episode, perhaps as Perkins, because then there would have been someone even more callous and heartless and unlikable than the Doctor, and the Doctor would have come off perfectly lovely in comparison. But I liked Perkins. I enjoyed the fact that he was elusive and and part charming, part arrogant. There was an indefinable quality to the man's character, whereas this guy is just straight up obnoxious, just unpleasant. I don't know, I think Perkins in this episode, a community service supervisor with a twinkle in his eye and a heart of gold, <laughs> the one beacon of hope for the kids on this estate. I mean, that would have that would have added some peril at the end, surely? We don't want Perkins to die. Lovely Mr. Perkins. But then you couldn't have the uh, the joke at the end about perhaps the wrong people surviving it. Oh, yeah, that's very true. Well, not joke, but poignant social commentary. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, ha- have there been worse arseholes on Doctor Who? Can we think of any? You are not allowed to say Donna Noble. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yeah, I'm out of ideas then. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not you know, sure. They quite often have arseholes who redeem themselves in the end. Mm. What about Dr. Lazarus? He was pretty awful. He was awful. What about Adam? Oh, your go-to. <laughs> <laughs> was he not a butthole? <laughs> he was just a bit... I mean that in a bad self, way. Self-obsessed and a bit vapid. Ironic, because he was then filled with the entirety of human data. Yep. <laughs> At least he had ambition. Yeah, Leon, what's wrong with a little ambition? I've been outvoted. Sorry, that's democracy. It's fine. I concede. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you guys feel about the alien of the week? The boneless. The boneless. I couldn't work out what you said at the yeah. end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you think what I thought, Marie? Well, it just depends what you thought. <laughs> the boners. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I watched this with Miriam, and that was her instant reaction. Was like, the bonus. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think that's exactly what he said. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> he gave them the name, didn't he? He doesn't yeah. know who they are. He just said, "I name you the boneless." Yeah, yeah. As he's running out of oxygen, his last thought is basically, <laughs> "I must think up a name so that if I survive, I can deliver this cracking line." <laughs> I'm not going to bother to find an air source. It's all or nothing. I thought it was pretty neat to have an alien or extra dimensional being, what have you, that is this sophisticated, this clever and malicious, whom we know nothing about. We don't know where they're from. We don't know what they want. And they never really communicate. I mean, they clarify who's next. But aside from that, they never really communicate with anyone. I assume the boneless are from the same universe as Chloe Webber's dad. Because... (laughs) I mean, he was just a two-dimensional drawing, and he came to life at the top of the stairs. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. I thought one of the coolest things about the boneless was um, their perception of our world. I don't know how the mural was really on the side of the, well, on the wall of the handprints and the footprints and the tire tracks, but that they, that was the only data they had from us. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, I agree. I'm not entirely sure how they were able to turn around when they were, you know, when they are just the murals of the various victims, when they are just viewed from behind. If there's no third dimension there, but... Do you think it would have been better if you, they'd just shown a mural, flip, and then another one, flip, 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 and it gets quicker and quicker with some, you know, dramatic crescendo of ominous music? Maybe, yeah, maybe. I mean, does, I mean this is just being my like brain not being sophisticated make... enough. Oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, does flipping like a piece of paper make more sense than a full 3D-esque rotation? Yes, exactly right. that. Exactly Good. that. Even though Retro-tip. I do concede that this is just my brain not being clever enough to figure out the, the spatial geometry of it. But still, I, I like that much better. I'd, see, I don't think I do, because I think that's you trying to imagine what a 2D thing looks like in your world. Whereas yep. in an actual 2D <laughs> world, why wouldn't you be able to rotate? And it's like, they're only one cell thick, but those cells are constantly in motion. And so when you see someone from the side, you it's their only side. I don't know. I, quite, I liked it. Anyway. I assume that they would see us as they sucked one of us into the wall. hey As... <laughs> You would, you would when you see like a CT scan going plate by plate, sliver by sliver yes. through the brain. Yeah. yeah. Which is effectively so, how they then represent a couple of the victims, or certainly the, the police like the woman. nervous system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's oh, that's a, that's a point. So once they've got all that extra data and the skin and everything, yeah, they can... Though I suppose that's not really a cross-section as such. No. Sorry, I'm talking over you, Drew. Yeah, I, I'm just saying with all that extra data, they can revisit their 
previous suckers and <laughs> start doing cool effects with them. Oh, that's yeah. true. It does make sense that it happens then and not earlier. That's the thing. They've been collecting data for a long time. Like, how long has this been? There's a lot of people in that underground passage that have been taken. Yeah. They must have been doing it for a long time and collecting data this whole time. And how many bits of human body are on a wall somewhere? Like they've done brain scans or bone scans, all that sort of thing. What would have happened if everyone had actually followed Fenton's orders and painted over those murals? Now there's a thing. <laughs> would that have defeated them? I, or would I they have not. climbed out of the wall and gone like, ugh, I've got paint all over me. Ugh, <laughs> gross. <laughs> Because yeah, they, have... they obviously appeared over the paint. Like, you must just... Paint means nothing to them. 3D things mean nothing to them. I don't know. Yeah, they rise to the surface. Yeah. They're all about surfaces. Don't you talk to the boneless <laughs> about a surface. Good grief. <laughs> I think the best thing about the boneless, and we've already alluded to it, is the progression. Yeah. The progression oh, yeah. is handled so well. You, you see the reasons for it and the data they're collecting... And they go from 2D to 3D, but it's not brilliant world-conquering 3D. It's shambling, jerky 3D. It, compare it to Nightmare in Silver, where the Cybermen progression was, oh, they're far too good for us. Now we have to pull back and make them crap again. Th- that didn't happen once here. But they do get progressively scarier as they get more and more powerful. Yeah. Oh, certainly. What did you feel like about... Because I like the idea that the door handle suddenly goes 2D and you're trapped, you can't get out of the room. And then the doctor making his little 3D... It it reminded me of the little squareness gun. Like, I've just made a gadget (laughs) and now I can point it and and we're out of this room again. What did you think? I loved it until you mentioned the squareness gun. (laughs) Sorry, Drew. (laughs) I have seen where the squareness gun originates. Have you? I have. I get Captain <gasps> Jack, oh, and yes. now I get Moffat's obsession with memory loss yeah. and malfunctioning tech. My goodness, it's all there. <laughs> but sorry, tangent, tangent, Marie. Yeah, yeah. Question. <laughs> the doc, doctor's little gadget to, to the the three dimensioner. That what two? What did he call it? Two dis. Two dis. Two dis. <laughs> I liked how pleased he was with that name. <laughs> I liked the first reveal of it, where we get to see the 2D door handle, but before the camera pans to the side a little bit, we don't realise that it's 2D. It looks yeah. like a regular door handle, and then it's revealed to be this optical illusion. It's I, I thought that was very nicely done. In fact, the, the effects in general, all the spatial effects, clever stuff. Yeah, because the best use of that was when the, the guy was there stood side on on the wall and then when the camera pans and you realize oh, yeah. he's on two different bit like he's split in two as well he's on a, and then he's on a box or something yeah so, that's yeah. really gross yeah but even from the beginning the, i think the first one of the first times it's used like the sofa is like the, they're in the room with all the the police officers and there's crazy patterns everywhere and then the sofa just disappears in the floor oh yeah and a chair so cool. conveniently suspended from the ceiling less than a meter away from the sofa <laughs> yes, do you have a dangling chair? Oh yeah, absolutely. Or, or a dangling swing. Yeah. <laughs> but don't that... get jealously on. <laughs> but it's there, was so much, there was so much tension in that room, and you can see them coming in the floor towards you, and then up the walls, and it's just there's nowhere to escape. It's like the floor is lava. Yeah, but you're really gonna die. It was very good. I, I thought that sofa effect was so good. It really was worth seeing it twice. I think that must be how the visual effects felt. Like, this this is great. Can we just see it again, but from the doctor's <laughs> screen? Because it's the best thing we've done all year. Yeah. 
At the beginning, first of all, I thought the cold open was really super creepy mm, with yeah, the Bristol know. guy on the phone. And the, the very, very, very slow pan to the wall to see his face stretched oh. in a permanent scream on it. I mean, the, oh, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. This episode is really quite scary at times. It's very dark, very violent, and very scary. What did the guy at the beginning say? Oh, he was completely useless. He said, I know who did it, they're everywhere. Do you think he did know anything? This is just a conspiracy theorist. I, I think he probably realised they were in the walls and the floor. Uh, but, but imagine yeah, being he the emergency... through that tunnel and he'd seen one of the murals move or something. Uh, maybe. But imagine being the emergency line operator on the other end of the call. Who, sir? Who might hear you? Who are everywhere? What do you mean, so blind? Sorry, sir, you've given us precisely no useful information. Oh, you're dead? Well, you deserve it. Oh, hush. Next caller. <laughs> no wonder nobody cares about that estate, my goodness. Okay, I've got a question about the micro-TARDIS. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's hear it. Leon, is it a perfect facsimile of the irregular TARDIS? I feel like you're the, the one who care about this. <laughs> I didn't look that closely, but I suspect that it's a more or less perfect facsimile of Capaldi's TARDIS. Yeah. Good enough. <laughs> I like the like, halfway size one right in the beginning, and Capaldi makes it so difficult to get out of this thing. He's like <laughs> contorting his body in every which way, and then Clara just like pops out delicately out behind him. <laughs> and then also awkwardly has to clamber back into it somehow, <laughs> folding yeah. his body in half. Yeah. How have they both fitted in there, by the way? Miriam asked the same question, and I assume, I don't know this for a fact, maybe they just got really cosy in there, but I assume that it doesn't have a back. Well, you see, I have a theory based on there not being a back. I mean, three sides would be enough to produce the shadow we see, because this was shot, and they probably hated this fact, in blinding sunlight, cursing Gloucester's clement weather. What are the chances? And so there's there's no way of disguising Clara hiding three feet behind because you'd see her shadow on the ground. Oh, but you could just, depending on which way the shadow falls, you could just cut that little bit. Completely. You could, but at the same time, there is a wheelbarrow behind the TARDIS. You can see that part of the handle's shadow at various points as the camera pans around. So my theory is that Clara starts off in the wheelbarrow, and that at Ooh. some point, as Capaldi inches out, she pitches forward, like slides through the front of the wheelbarrow, and then just, just strolls out after. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope you're right. <laughs> Who can tell? I watched Doctor Who Extra just for confirmation of this. Oh, really? Just just for a feet-first dive. Wait, sorry, no. hang on. Do they address it? Oh, they don't. No, they don't. Oh. There's nothing. Oh, lame. <laughs> Mini TARDIS, great. Midi TARDIS, great. Regular TARDIS, wonderful. What about the Siege Mode TARDIS? And did it remind you of anything? Like a mini version of that box that Amy gets stuck in, the Pandorica. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Why, and why, what's wrong with that? Why are you upset? You why? seem upset by this. <laughs> well, I, I just don't know the, why. Because the Pandorica was cool and they want to bring it back. Yeah, okay, you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> I, I, okay. I don't know why, though. No. It reminded me of the Power of Three Cubes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But that is purely size. You know, sh the shape. And shape. Of it. Yeah. The cube. <laughs> Actually, it's really weird to have it be a a cube. 
in fact. That's a strange thing for a TARDIS. We've never seen it be a cube. What should it be? An egg to TARDIS's hatch? Wait, hang on. We've seen TARDISes that are not camouflaged. We get to see the Master's TARDIS, I think, in the... What's it called? The War Lords? Ugh, I don't know. War something. Uh, people, look for the word war on whobackone.com. You'll find it. Where it's like a... It's, is it the War Games? Yes. Thank you. Well done. There you go. Uh, I want to say it's like a, a monolith. Basically TARDIS shaped. It's just black, I think. And also, there's the footage. Do you remember the footage of uh, the first Doctor going to steal the TARDIS? There, they're like cylinders. You know the one where Clara has jumped through the timeline? She's like, oh, don't steal that one. Steal this one. It doesn't work as well, but it's much more charming. And they're all, they're just like these cylinders on a row. But they're never a cube with the circle on it. I, I don't know. We both went like Pandorica. Yeah, and had that TARDIS still been full-sized and gone into siege mode, it would have been an exact replica of the Pandorica. Yeah, also true. I I don't mind it, it's just I don't understand why. Well, pyramids have weird sort of mystic connotations. A cube is just a cube. Anyone can get behind a cube, apart from you. (laughs) (laughs) If it was a sphere, it'd just roll away. Clara would be... following as it bounced around the tr- down the train tracks is that what you want what is a siege mode though does it just make it virtually indestructible well it yes but it also like kills whatever's inside it because he was saying like, like life support is going off and he was struggling to breathe at the end like that doesn't seem like a very good mode to have i think the reason for that was that it's consuming tremendous amounts of energy and life support doesn't like there's not enough energy for life support but once he has no longer been hit by a train could he not just turn off siege mode and yeah no, he, he doesn't like, have the energy for that he says oh uh... Wait, but why it takes more energy to turn it off? That makes <laughs> no sense. <laughs> it, it makes plenty of sense. It's a phase change, I guess, like ah. picking up from last week. Oh, you're so right. That's so right. Oh, yeah, I still don't like it. Because <laughs> it feels like anyone who turns on siege mode, that's just like, mm, just going to postpone death by roughly an hour, at which point it's inevitable. Unless hey, you know my companion ferries weird two-dimensional electricity into... What what will happen is if he dies, he will regenerate. And part of the re- regeneration... Oh, fucking Part of the regeneration <laughs> energy will spill out of him and enable the TARDIS to thereafter be turned off from siege mode. So a Time Lord walks out, the same Time Lord, different body. It's, it's fine. They're, they're well over that. Okay, so what about, you know, different plugs? If you go on holiday somewhere and you haven't got the right adapter, then your phone's going to get really warm when you charge it. Here you've got these 2D boner dudes. They're shooting their 2D electricity into the TARDIS. W- why isn't the TARDIS going like, I can't charge your phone? Why, why, why is it working? I'm being because devil's advocate. I loved it because it's a two. It's it's trying to make it three D. It's a it's a dimensional charge that's trying to turn it from a two D image to a three D image, and the Tardis is lacking in dimensional. That's what's made it go smaller. Oh, dimensional you're energy. Right. Yeah. yeah, they've been stealing, siphoning off its dimensional energy or something. Yeah. Yeah, so that they can go from 2 to 3D. So it's a very specific type of energy. You guys are the best. This is perfect. <laughs> all right, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. I mean, all we're doing is correctly understanding the episode. I think Jamie <laughs> Matheson might be the best. <laughs> I've already given this, spoiler alert, a pretty high mark. You guys are just making it higher, just so you're aware. Honestly, you know how some people complained about the podcast no longer being plot point by plot point? Yeah, we could go back to that for this one episode (laughs) 
and I would just be like, and then this happened, and that was good, and then this happened, and that was good, and just <laughs> all the way through the episode. Yeah, me too. <laughs> no, but did did nobody have any criticisms? Though? Well, no, R- Riggs. I have a, cri- I have a criticism. Yeah, oh yeah, that too. Okay, yeah. I've got another one as well. Come on. I think the ending sucks massive balls. I, th- <gasps> I, I think the Capaldi exit from the TARDIS, the, the scene that immediately follows the recharging whatever that we just talked about, he steps out, he calls them boners, and then he uses the Sonic, <laughs> and there's just like such a Sonic ex machina. He just uses the Sonic, vroom, done. And also, it's very Zero much, context. I've rid of the world of this problem now. They'll never be able to come back through a different wall somewhere else it just doesn't well they i think they I th- make a sort of lame excuse of they'll go back maybe to their own dimension and tell them of who you saw and you saw my terrifying war eyebrows and you don't want to come back for them so yeah so Draw that whole dimension profile is to a- your buddies <laughs> yeah <laughs> I just thought it was really lame that he he sonics them. Like, all it took was the sonic at a certain setting. We haven't seen him conduct experiments to figure out what setting. Clara Clara has had... The whole time. Exactly, exactly what I was going to say. The whole time. And the the fact that, I mean, she's been running the show. She's saved the Doctor so many times. He comes out with the exact same tool that she has had at her disposal this whole time. He just had to, click, press a different button or, like, you know, press it harder or whatever and that's it that's it yeah. uh, i thought i thought that was a little bit lame that is a little bit lame yeah i feel I, like I the had... conclusion should also be related to the different dimensions in some way if you like yeah, I, he draws I... a circle around them and they can't escape because they don't know how to step over lines or something you know they're done you know, it, that to me even though that's a shit idea it took me <laughs> like all of one second to, to <laughs> brainstorm that that i think is already slightly like that realm of stuff is is more interesting given what they're able to do with the sofa with the shitty wallpaper with the skin thing on the on the wall and all that they could have taken some of those elements and transposed them to the conclusion of this episode and i would have been much more pleased yeah i got as far as thinking that the effect should have been a bit more dimensionally related like rather than just seeing them vaporized or dissolved or whatever it is Mm. you should have seen them flatten in some way or something kooky and angular should have gone on but yeah actually the problem is much more fundamental how, how about this how about this he can trap them in a perfectly translucent cage and because they they see through it they can't draw it they can't picture it they're stuck forever that's about two I, seconds i've spent on this i like that i think ah <laughs> huh? huh. there you go and the, and the the uh, visual effects required very cheap <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wait, I mean, you hang could on. probably just uh, grab oh. a tutorial and uh, make it glow ever so slightly orange, but circular entrapment. Yeah, works easy. Alternatively, have Riggsy save the day and use the drawing of the door to seal off this episode. Like, put them in a room with <laughs> just paint over the door, and they don't know that it's a door or something. Have Riggsy fix this. He, his graffiti, we get to see his actual art at one point, and it's like a shattering of a window or something. We, or shards, right? Some reflections in all the shards. Have him draw something like that. Get them to be stuck in this. It's just like, it's, oh, fucking so many. Oh. Anyway, all of ending, these ending ideas, such balls. All of these ideas are plausible, dude. With a little bit of work, any of them would have been better. Meh. But aside from that, this episode is like, like, almost flawless. It is bloody great. Oh, wait, I've got one more thing. okay i was really happy that missy showed up at the end Uh, but 
I feel like the fact that she wields a straight-up iPad really discredits her. I, I, I cannot take her seriously. <laughs> In fact, I have no idea what she says when she shows up because I was too focused on the fact that the master, Missy, has an Apple iPad. It, she even has one of the smart covers for it. Why does she have an Apple iPad and not a sci-fi gizmo? Does, is the Apple logo visible? It's an iPad. It's got the iPad button and everything. It's like, it's an iPad. Mm. See, I've never Took owned an Apple it. product, so to me it makes no difference. Nah. I was going to say, I didn't, I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> but now that you've pointed it out, I am outraged. Because you're right, yeah. she should have something a lot cooler than an iPad. That's that's bullshit. Where is she supposed to be? Isn't she supposed to be in the other realm, in this like heaven place where everybody exactly. is? Exactly. iPads probably don't work over there. Even if they do, she wouldn't have one. No. This presupposes that at some point, Missy went into a Curry's PC world. <laughs> I'd like that iPad, please. Could I have it in white or in space gray? No, wait, we don't have the space gray yet. Can I have it in white, please? Thank you. <laughs> I'm looking. I think they've. it is an iPad, but I think they might have blurred out the Apple symbol if there is one. I don't know what iPads look like. I don't think there is a symbol, like a logo on no. the front. I think the logo is on the back and we don't get to see the, the back, but it is a okay. straight up Apple iPad. All right. It's only an Apple iPad to you because you know what they look like. To me and Drew, it's just a square. It's a screen, basically. Fine. Yeah. They could still have done better, though. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, Missy, and is this the first time... Do we know that she was cl- she's the one who called Clara in the first place? Or that gave Clara the number for the doctor? Wait, what, did, what, what does she say? What is... I, like, says, I wasn't kidding about that. I have no idea what she says. What is her line? It's something like... Drew, what is it? Do you remember? It's something like, oh, I chose you well. Yeah, that's it. Oh. And it's the first hint, I think, that Missy might have had something to do with putting Clara and the Doctor together. Yeah, because she's still coming from the shop. Yeah, which has oh, been yeah. forgotten about. in the, Like, a couple of series ago, we were all like, oh, who is this woman in the shop? And then it's just not been mentioned for ages. So it's quite nice that it comes back round all the way now. Interesting. I had missed that line here, but I had also forgotten that Missy was in any way involved in that. Yeah. Why? Do we... Oh, hmm, no, spoiler territory. Oh, I don't know. She was carefully chosen because she's so dark and callous like the Doctor is in this episode. That was what, when you said you didn't like the ending, that's what I thought you were talking about, is when the Doctor is very unhappy with Clara, that how gleeful she is that they survived. Oh, sorry, like, no, I love like, that. Lost, bit. Yeah, but it's very, it's, it's just an exact reverse of what we saw with Clara, like, last week or the week before? Yeah, like, that's a couple true. of times recently. So what do you think of Clara's fallibility and just straight up repeating the doctor's mistakes from very recently murray i think it's really interesting because you see how when you're in charge and you've got these lives to save and you and this like all the adrenaline and the power that's running through her and she's so psyched that they survived and they've defeated the monster and they've saved the day and they've saved the earth and so in comparison like i can understand her feeling really jubilant and then when he points it out oh but you know, you lost people as well. I don't know, it just... Well, I, I was a bit ambivalent or maybe disappointed in Clara this episode. They set us oh. up in this very second scene, the first after the cold open, with just the worst lying, as in <laughs> the most yeah. amateurish yeah. tempt. It's it's really bad. And if the Doctor were listening, he, he would just... He'd be even more withering than his utter indifference. Lying and, to and, the Doctor or lying to Pink? So she... well, she's already lied to Pink, and now she's lying to the Doctor about her lying to Pink. Mm. Yeah. But in my head, the, her lying to the Doctor about Pink was so terrible 
that I assumed that the Doctor knew. It was one of these, like, wink, wink, yeah, Danny yeah. thinks, oh, he, he's really happy with you being here, isn't he? But he didn't believe it. So it was shocked me a little bit at the end when Doctor was so upset about being lied to. So I was like, oh, I, I thought you would have known that. Yeah, I, I've, I've got a note as well, but I don't remember the context exactly. I know, sorry, I know that this happens right after the, the hanging chair thing, the scene where she's on the phone with Pink. She's on a, she's having a phone call. That sounds very much like she's being physically sexually active with them. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It, I mean, it sounds like a sex chat, but so they crash out of the window and my next note, but I don't remember what the doctor says here. I, my note is apparently doc did not suspect a thing about Clara's lies. Does she say something to the doctor there? Or is it maybe the doctor doesn't understand why? Because um, the doctor's seeing everything through her eyes, isn't he? So this, this must be the point where he realizes she's been lying she's to him, been lying to Danny Pink. And Danny's not okay with it. And therefore, now he knows that she's been lying to him as well. I think this disproves what I said in the last episode after Mummy on the Orient Express. I think I said, oh, I think there's a scene where Capaldi eavesdropped on her and he knows exactly yeah. what the, you know, what the situation is. But he's happy for her to have lied about it because he wants to continue traveling with her. Apparently, I was dead wrong about that. Yeah, but that's that's sort of what I took as well. I thought he kind of knew what the score was, but it doesn't sound like he did. No, he only connects her lying with pretending to be the doctor. Yeah. True, yeah. So how does... I, I mean, oh, sorry. The one point that I got from Doctor Who Extra, it was otherwise an entirely wasted 10 minutes. <laughs> but right towards the end, just as my patience was about to snap, Stephen Moffat came on and he talked about the doctor. Usually he thinks that um, he improves his companions. He takes them places, he imparts lessons, he builds them up. But in this episode, he has to confront the reality that he is actually making Clara worse. Yeah. So I think, yes, I think the lying is a shock to him. And part of his reaction at the end is wrapped up with disappointment in himself. I think that's spot on because I think he's in the companion position and he's seeing Clara act how he acts and when you see it from as a third party standing outside of it yourself and you see how cold she is about these people that died and she it's almost it's not on her radar at all it's she's just but we saved the world it doesn't matter if some people died if they hadn't been there everybody would have died you know it's one of those but yes yeah, so I think his his reaction is about more about I don't know is it realizing that that's him normally does he see himself in her I think so yeah, both, both him and what he's doing to her and what he's doing to her yeah because she's normally really caring and loves everybody and wants everybody to survive I don't so know. did you love her any less for these emergent flaws no I don't think I did <laughs> is that well, I mean, of she's, course she's, not we weren't expecting anything else Marie <laughs> Yeah, she's built up a lot of leeway. You can forgive her many things. I just think, and I think in that situation, I can understand being so just feeling on top of the world and feeling like we've cracked it, we've saved the day. And then maybe you go home later and you're sat on the sofa cuddling up with Danny and he goes, oh, how was your day, love? And she starts thinking about, actually, it wasn't all good. We did lose some people today. And it's something that comes after the adrenaline has gone. Yeah, Obviously, that is not what Danny says, though. He says, no. so what were you doing earlier? And <laughs> can I listen in next time all the way to the end? <laughs> I did love I did love this scene with the swing chair. I'm just like how cool she is. She's like, Yeah, Daddy, I'm just I'm just uh, in a meeting, whatever. And she's why answer the everyone. phone? Like, why answer the Don't phone? Don't answer the phone. <laughs> exactly. If he hadn't been in public, you know he would have said, Oh, so that's what we're doing now and just started on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Have we talked enough about Riggsy and her companion? Is that what you were going to say? Oh, yeah. He did describe <laughs> him as a, as a companion, didn't he? He's your companion now. He's very much Clara's companion. Yeah. How do you feel about him? I feel like he's way better than Courtney. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> so much better. There's no comparison. Well, there is, because they are both young black companion-esque characters in this series. He's like a young adult, she's a child, that's the difference. Yeah, but I feel like he might in the he might only be three or four years older than her. Oh really? Oh, to me they seemed but I'm terrible at gauging ages like with kids. I don't know how old she is, but it seemed to me like there must be a decade between them. I, I was thinking that she was at most fifteen and he was at, at least eighteen. So there could be a decade, but it could be just She's years. not fifteen, surely. I thought she was well, way she younger than that. Like I think she's super like thirteen. Yeah, exactly. At most. Uh, okay. But I don't. <laughs> this is where we find and out he, she's actually seventeen. And he uh, must be eighteen because he's doing community service. Yeah, exactly. He's he's uh, uh, like a young adult. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, when he first came on and he was really flirty with Clara, and I was like, ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the more it went on, I was, I was like more and more like, he's too young. Why is it? Stop flirting. She's like she's a, <laughs> like an adult, and she is your teacher, and she's treating you as if like you're her student. She's yeah, doing this Lolito. like mentorship <laughs> thing, um, and he's just like, oh, miss. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so he was he was twenty one when this episode aired. So twenty ah, when it filmed. There yeah. we go. <laughs> I thought he was great. Yeah. Yeah, me too. He was played by Joyvan Wade. Done anything else? He's still acting, but nothing that I've heard of. Well, maybe is the first Purge? Is that a film? He seems to have been in that. I'm assuming that's a prequel to Purge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Purge. He was in that. Cool. All right. Oh, I mean, I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> Can I just say to echo a line in this story, the TARDIS full weight fracturing the surface of the Earth yes. is definitely a story for another time. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm in another that as well. Good line. If you know what I mean. Yep. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> hang on. I'm going to make a note of that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you reckon all tube drivers dream of ramming something? <laughs> Oh, the number of times they have to bring their their vehicles to a safe stop. It must drive you a bit mental after a while. Unlike I mean, every a time thing you br- to... bring your car to a safe stop, Drew. <laughs> you just ram into the wall when you get home. <laughs> yeah, just park it in the living room for a change. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been in the car once when Drew is driving? <laughs> I have been in the car with Drew's running. Yeah. Round of are my favourite. <laughs> yeah. As, as they are mine. Yeah, the there centrifugal no powers. <laughs> Everyone's sitting on one side of the car at that point. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I can understand how it might be just me. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. I actually wanted to go first. So. Fine. Go on then. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. <laughs> Haven't prepared anything for a rating, unlike you chaps probably usually do. I just really, really liked this episode. I was really swept away with it. I wrote very few notes, which is a sign that I'm really enjoying something. And I came back to look at my notes before we started this, and I thought, 
shit, I've missed so much. The guys are going to pull it apart and I'm not going to have anything to back me up to say why I liked it. And then I came and you've just both gone, oh no, it was amazing. <laughs> um, and if, normally when we have like a really good episode, we get really nitpicky and we, we spend a whole hour telling like each other how crap it is and then you still give it a high score. But on this one, there's like hardly anything to nitpick about. The special effects were incredible. Every time they did something, they did something new and I just really, I just read all the visuals were beautiful from like the skin on the wall that looked like a desert and at first glance you don't see what it is and then as soon as it's pointed out to you it becomes really clear that it's part of the story and then the sofa disappearing the creepy things in the carpets coming towards you they turn 3d and they're coming towards you and the paint when they were in the the mural in the uh, subway when they came towards you it was like paint coming off the wall as well which i thought was really beautiful and just yeah so many different effects that just all looked amazing and just kept you on your toes and kept changing all the time the whole train that disappears into the yes. wall yeah i thought that just, was a little was... overwhelming uh, underwhelming actually what? <laughs> <laughs> i just thought it was so cool it was such a cool episode i obviously loved that clara got to run it this week and it felt like she had such a good level of she was turning to the doctor. He was obviously in her ear. So every now and again, it was, okay, what do we do now? He's obviously, like, he's a thousand years older than her and he's an alien and he has all this technology. You do turn to the person that has more knowledge than you. But at the same time, she's making decisions on her own. She never hesitates. She's totally running the show. And when she loses touch with him, she doesn't falter in the slightest. She's just so confident. And he's instilled that into her. But the other thing that he's instilled into her is this we get the job done so at one point they talk about how getting her team together how are you going to get this band around you and make sure you're in charge and she goes well i'm going to lie to them that's what you do we lie people with hope run faster and it's such a good line and it just you know it's what needs doing in the situation it doesn't wholly fit with her character as we've seen her before but it fits with her in this leader role i've you know i'm looking to my mentor what would he do and this is what he would do and she gets the job done and it's it's full of little things like that i was going to talk about danny pink for a little bit but he's barely in it it just it's just continuing this she's lying to them both it feels like it's going to come to another head it's already come to a head it's going to come to another head soon because now the doctor knows he's been lied to danny pink knows something's going on from the sex swing escapades so we'll see where that goes and yeah great to have missy thrown in at the end just to give this little teaser of you know we've forgotten where clara came from and now we might finally get an answer so yeah all in all fantastic episode not much to dislike i think i'm gonna give it a 4.7 whoa 4.7 you say i think so okay can i go next drew Sure. Because if I don't go next, then you'll give it a rating, and then I'll give it a rating, the one that I've already written down, and you'll be like, ah, he didn't write that down beforehand. That's what you sound like, Drew. I stand by it. Okay. Nobody can prove anything either way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, Marie, you've once again proven what we already knew. You have a huge heart. Okay, 4.7. I'm not going to go quite that high. However... The, the thing is, I... I what? <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, there are a few things wrong with it, but very, very few things. The, the thing is, on numerous occasions on Who Back When, I have said that I, I love it when Doctor Who, which is this time travel-centric show, actually incorporates time, the dimension of 
time as a central narrative device, and that happens very rarely, so when it happens, I, I'm ecstatic. Well, turns out I'm just as enthralled when the Beeb uses spatial dimensions in the same way. <laughs> Because this does not happen often at all. The only time that I remember us encountering this on Who Back When is in a William Hartnell story called Planet of Giants, where the TARDIS dimensional whatever what's it doesn't work. It's actually not a planet of giants, it's Earth. It's London, obviously. But it's uh, the, the TARDIS is suddenly teeny tiny and it's just them walking around and experiencing, you know, they're playing with spatial dimensions. And we get the same here in, in a weird way. I think this is terrifically clever. All the funky effects, even though in watching this, there were a few occasions where I wondered, hmm, were they maybe inspired to write this set piece by the fact that they had access to this particular effect? But I, I don't care if that's even, even if that's the case. It works. It was also suitably dark. It was very eerie, which is a nice change. Doc was great as always. And as I said, I hope he enjoyed the rest of his week while Clara ran around a Bristolian council estate. And Clara was absolutely brilliant as the doctor of this episode. I'm only marking this down because of the incredibly rushed and, to my mind, very underwhelming ending with the Sonic, but also because of the iPad and also because, you know what, I kind of wanted to get to know, what was his name again, Riggsy? I w- kind of wanted to get to know him a little bit better as well. Oh, I do hope he comes back. I take it that means <laughs> that he does. I'm very pleased if that's the case. Um I have given this a rating of, because I like it more than, uh, what's his name? Matheson? Jamie, Jamie Ma- Matheson. Jamie Matheson. I like this more than Jamie Matheson's last one. So I'm giving this a 4.2. That's really low. Really? Lo- it's a 4.2. Is that what oh. you wrote down at the beginning of the episode? Because halfway through this episode, you said me and Drew had talked you up. Uh, I had originally written 4.0. Um, I see. Well, I agree, Marie. That is a really low rating because <sighs> holy moly, what an episode. <laughs> this was fantastic on so many levels. It knocked me sideways. Yay! It was full of ups and downs. <laughs> <laughs> Trapping the Doctor in the TARDIS and having Clara be his stand-in sometimes helped via earpiece, but crucially independent when it came to the really big clevers was inspired. It allowed the Doctor to be on his own, and I think that really helped. He's much less harsh than he has been this series and he even recognizes that by seeing his behavior replicated by somebody else so there's the hope of improvement there whereas his unlovely persona has been front and center for most of this series i could have seen any number doctor playing this role seeing the doctor trapped strips the character down to the bare bones i really enjoyed it the foe was genuinely terrifying even moffat whose passion project is souring the ubiquitous for us never made us afraid (laughs) of our very dimensions the walls on the floor the action sequences have me holding my breath every time the delivery of these readings are very ishy (laughs) (laughs) tingles the moments of not knowing something along with the doctor really are thrilling the reveals of the shrunken tardis door first chest height and then palm sized amazing the sonic poking out of it towards clara's face it's tons of fun not at all phallic i only have (laughs) i only had two quibbles originally one was the effect of the boneless which has now been subsumed into the wider disappointment of the ending as leon has made clear sorry and fenton's one dimensionality but even missy's epilogue at the end ipad be damned is fantastic i would have loved to see capaldi exclaim to clara don't point the two discs at anything 3d and seen something given a fourth dimension but i understand why they didn't but it would have, would have been a hell of a trip 
So, really, my only problem is with the ending. Must see TV, 4.8. What? 4.8? Yes. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well done, Drew. Great rating. Dagnabbit, suddenly I'm the bad guy. I really love this episode. I really, really love this episode. Do you, though? It just seems like you really love this episode. You're the guy who's given out 5.0s before. That's true. Yeah, for no reason. To undeserving episodes. (laughs) What? Wait, which episode did I give 5.0 that did not deserve it? I think the name of the doctor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one. (laughs) People don't forget. (laughs) All right. Well, I like to keep you on your toes. All right. Shall we hear from Podcast Land? Let's. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250. Or it would get out of hand. Okay. So this week we have five listener minis. Thank you very much, Fistful of Fans. Thank you very much indeed. (laughs) And the first mini comes from... Star Star Wars Hill, Star Wars Hill, Star Wars Hill. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Star Wars Hill. Hi, Star Wars Hill. Hello, Star Wars Hill. Star Wars Hill really enjoyed this episode. The creatures, Riggsy, Clara pretending to be the Doctor... Not to mention the tiny TARDIS is gleeful in its wonderful cuteness. No, That's a nice description. <laughs> we even have a moment near the end where the Doctor actually says some kind things to Clara. He rescinds them directly after, of course, but it's our first real wavering footstep in the direction of a Doctor who actually cares about more than his own boredom. And is it just Star Wars Sill, or does the TARDIS under lockdown look a little like the Pandorica? Not just you, Sill. Not just you. Darwin enjoyed that Adam's family tactic. Also, really enjoying Missy's fondness over Clara, asserting that she chose Clara for the Doctor. Missy is a villain who is fun to have on screen. And Star Wars Sill will give this one a 4.6 out of 5 adorable miniature TARDISes. Great rating, Star Wars Sill. Yeah, excellent. As always. I mean, a little high. (laughs) 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 No, JK, fantastic stuff. Excellent, excellent many. People who are not Star Wars Sill, please high five Star Wars Sill online. Can Star Wars Sill be found online somewhere? I believe you can follow Star Wars Sill at Star Wars Sill. Star Wars Sill, Star Wars Sill. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be on the on the Twittergram. That's right, yes. Thank you very much, Star Wars Sill. Next up, we've got the Doctor Gamer. Hello, the Doctor Gamer. Hello, Hello. the Doctor Gamer. <laughs> Uh, The Doctor Gamer begins. Okay, this isn't as great as I remembered, but it's still good. And then the Doctor Gamer lists some pros. The ideas in this episode are very fun and inventive. Riggsy is a strongly developed companion to Kalara. I would love to see more of him. He's in the next series, by the way. Spoilers, the Doctor Gamer! (laughs) And one more pro, namely, the Doctor dancing in the TARDIS is epic. Wait, wrong point. The Doctor being trapped inside the TARDIS. seven series ago. It doesn't dance. The Doctor being trapped inside the TARDIS, however, and giving Clara a guide works much better than most people would expect. And then, inevitably, follow the Doctor Gamer's cons. The second and third acts are much more boring than I'd remembered. Oh dear. (laughs) The Doctor gets away with using his Sonic to save the day in 10 seconds because Peter Capaldi is an amazing actor. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I mean, he does pull it off. Uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I bought it. It was only yeah. when we started talking about it. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, funny. it is kind of naff, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
Overall, says the Dr. Gamer, great first half and concepts. Bad resolution. And the Dr. Gamer is going to give Flatline a 3.82D monsters that we know nothing about. <laughs> Ooh, yes. See, here's, uh, here's someone who gave this an even lower rating than I did. It's going on. You couldn't tell Dr. Gamer, but I was just dancing there. Uh, thank you very much, the Dr. Gamer. Oh, sorry. The Dr. Gamer adds, in conclusion, see you next time for In the Forest in of the... In the Forest of the Shite. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> like we know what to expect from that review. <laughs> yep. Oh, looking forward to it. That's going to be great. Uh, people, please do yourselves a favor and high-five the Dr. Gamer online. The Dr. Gamer can be found at Dr. Gamer 789. Oh! <gasps> That was perfect. That was super duper in sync. Thanks very much, Dr. Gamer. Next up, it's Jim the Fish. Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Jim. Um, Hi, Jim. And Jim the Fish begins. Doctor Who seems to come up with its monsters by walking around a city and pointing at random stuff. What if statues were alive? What if graffiti was trying to eat you? What if street lamps were nocturnal hunters that flicker when they make a fresh kill? <laughs> oh, like the lights flicker when the mummy starts his countdown last yeah. week. Oh, yeah. Right. This could have been downright terrible in the hands of a less competent writer. But Matheson has got the Monster of the Week style absolutely nailed, which turns out to be a remake of Fear Her? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> this is no. the first callback no. to something I said in this episode. <laughs> And it's only going to get worse for me from here. (laughs) (laughs) On the plus side, Jim the Fish continues, this gave Clara a much-needed taste of her own medicine. It was starting to feel like the Clara show. If she's going to hang around, she needs to see things from the Doctor's perspective. We get a much-needed climb-down in tension between her and the Doctor, and it's almost enough to tip the episode over into good, but... Dot, dot, dot. Oh my god, it's a life or death moment. She's fighting to survive. She's got, oh, wait, her boyfriend calls. She'll need to answer that right then and there because, you know, I guess Danny beats her if she doesn't jump when he calls. Ever ever heard of voicemail? What kind of relationship is that? I'm sorry for laughing. Jim the Fish backs Leon up by saying defeating the boneless was too easy. If the Doctor is doing some unexplained science in the TARDIS that's activated by the Sonic, it still counts as Sonic X Machina. Taking that's what I from said! Matheson, that is what Leon said. That's exactly said. what I said! <laughs> the exact phrase. Here's my friend who agrees with me. <laughs> and in conclusion, Jim the Fish adds... Matheson proves that he is centuries ahead of the rest of Who's writers in terms of crafting well-written, interesting, and exciting episodes. And he gives this, what's Marie? A 2.9 out of 5. Boo, boo, boo. Bit of a, well... I was expecting a higher mark there, actually. Low score for General, but yeah, fairly good for Jim the Fish, actually. Yeah, and a fantastic mini. Yeah, really good mini. Totally freaking spot on mini, dude. Nice one. Very nice. Thank you for that. Jim the Fish has also added some bonus stuff, including one point in particular that I think we ought to read out. In fact, Drew, you ought to read this one out. Yeah, he's already picked up on two things. Leona said in this episode, one thing for me, and then there's another thing for me. Jim the Fish says, such a shame the BBC turned down Matheson's pitch for being the showrunner after Moffat. So he wanted to be the showrunner. Yeah, Why would I- they let him? I would, just on this episode alone. This is I guess- quite a scoop, Jim the Fish. Hmm. 
I mean, if you're putting them up against what they had done lately, you've got Broadchurch against some E4 miniseries that no one's ever heard of. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. But my goodness, Jim the Fish, where did you get this information? Please send us a link. Because at the moment, it just seems like we read your mini an hour and a half ago and expanded (laughs) it into an episode. But honestly, we didn't. Yeah, this is promise, a, promise. A surprise to me. So, yes, links, please. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jim the Fish. Next up, we've got Robbie. Robbie Eleanor. Hello, Robbie. Hi, Robbie. What are you wearing today, Robbie? <laughs> Before jumping into Robbie's mini, we should say congratulations because today, as we are recording this, because I, I'm pretty sure this arrived, this mini arrived in our inbox today, is actually Robbie's and Alicia's two-year anniversary. So congratulations very much. Yeah, put the 16th of April in your calendars, podcast land, and send them a present next year. <laughs> Robbie says about the episode proper, as for Flatline, how are you not going to enjoy Clara play acting as the Doctor? The -the over-the-top nature of it was absolutely fantastic. Was anyone else completely creeped out by the boneless? Not as much as the giant wasp during Ten's run, but still. Oh, what a callback. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing the TARDIS shrink and shrink was a lot of fun, especially with the door occasionally opening and seeing the Doctor peer out. I found the chase through the tunnels legitimately frightening, and since I have no idea what's coming, I do buy Clara in danger at all times. The appearance of Missy at the end was an added treat, and overall, this was a great watch. The creepy nature of the boneless means they're generally not my favourites, but it was a great ride keeping me at the edge of my seat, so I'll give this a 4.0. Thanks, guys. Whoop whoop. Thank you very much, Robbie. I think that's a pretty good rating as well. (laughs) Slightly on the low side, I would say. Oh, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. (laughs) Spot on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think Robbie deserves another plug for his Grace and Grid cosplay Instagram. Absolutely. Check it out. But do high five him on Twitter as well. He can be found at what? Robbie S.E. Nice one. Thank you very much. Next up, last up, we've got Michael Ridgway. Ridgway! Ridgeway, Ridgeway. Ridgeway. <laughs> Out of sync again. Oh. <laughs> Love you, Michael. Love you so big. Hi, Michael. Michael begins with some likes. The uber dark, creepy, surreal, and twisted imagery and horrible deaths is the stuff of nightmares that epitomizes Seven's Daughters. Final TV adventure. Teeny tiny TARDIS. <laughs> And Clara saving the world. You go, Clara. And Michael, of course, follows with some... (laughs) Why does the undisguised TARDIS look like a mini Pandorica and not the slick silver cylinder we've seen before? You're blowing Leon's mind right now, Michael. (laughs) I'm doing a dance. And why did the aliens become super dumb at the end? Why didn't they realise the painted door wasn't their own handiwork? It's not like they've been trying to turn all 2D pictures 3D. Yeah, that's a good point. In summary, says Michael, unnerving and uncomfortable. And like the weird-ass classic Who adventure, Edge of Destruction. That's discretion to you and me. Edge of Destruction, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Probably destined to be a cult classic rather than a fan favourite. This is Doctor Who for David Lynch fans. Ooh. Well, sign me up for the cult, because I think this is a classic. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'll see you at the David Lynch fan club. (laughs) 
Uh, Michael gives us a 4.3 out of 5 community service punks being sucked into 2D and horribly dissected. Yuck. Yuck. Marvellous mini, as always, Michael. Hmm, I wonder, would it be possible to follow Michael on Twitter? I do believe it is. He can be found at bad... Underscore... Movie... Underscore... Club... (laughs) No more underscores. That was Jim, by the way. That's what he sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, only Jim. (laughs) Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Right, so that kind of concludes Flatline. What's next? I'll tell you what's next. A classic Who review, that's what... Namely, the androids of Tara. Ooh. Tara? <laughs> yeah. Tara, Tara Palmer Tompkinson? Who's Tara? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's the planet Tara. You know, JD calls us the androids of Tara. <laughs> uh, <laughs> after that, we've got a, another new Who review, namely... Uh, in the Forest of the Night. The Night! <laughs> 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 in sync again. Uh, well, at some point in the not too distant future, we will also get back into Audio Who territory with a double feature, namely Deimos and the Resurrection of Mars. But of course, of course. But in the meantime, you can say hello to us on Twitter, I believe, or on Instagram. In fact, let's start with the latter. Marie? Uh, yes, I am on Instagram, and it's what is it? Ham, mash, and jelly? That's the one! All right, cool. <laughs> all in one word. But not all at once. <laughs> Drew? I'll take you to my Tweety Beach at Drew Backwen. Ooh, excellent branding. You can high-five me online as well. I'll high-five you right back. I'm at Ponkin. More confusing than ever. That's right. Don't ask me why. Thank you so much for listening. You have been a lovely audience. Please stay home, stay safe, unless you're listening to this in the future and we're all free from the quarantine. Rock on and cha-chao. Bye-bye. Toodles. Kablamo. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao ciao. Who back when?